It has been two years, eight months, and one day since I last treated a patient. I have a question today from Margot. I think one question I would have in hindsight is, how should someone with a planned surgery, say an ACL replacement plan for effective rehab? What kind of provider should they look for? How do you know it's going well or not? And what should you do if it's not going well, etc.? The context for this is, I used to think physical therapists were all the same and assumed the one I picked was fine and that I would have a good outcome if I religiously did the rehab work assigned to me. I learned the hard way this was not the case. So these are all really valid, very important, and extremely difficult questions to answer. Um, I'm going to take each one one by one uh, and, and answer as we go. The first one, how should someone with a planned surgery plan for effective rehab. Uh, one of the things that we do know when it comes to most orthopedic surgeries is the the, the stronger you are uh, before the surgery, the faster the rehab process goes. Um, that can be you know, difficult in, in your example here of having uh, a torn ACL. Trying to do any kind of strength work could be difficult or even potentially dangerous on an unstable knee. Um, so I guess that's more of a plug to say, do everything you can to be strong and stable your whole life. <laughs> uh, other circumstances like, say, knee arthritis with, with a, a knee replacement in the, in the coming, coming future, it's sort of similar. The knee is not unstable in that case, it's, uh, but it's very painful to try and work on, on strengthening. But that's probably one of the biggest things that I can say from from a physicality standpoint is just have good strength. Um, we're not talking bodybuilder strength. Uh, we're talking about you know what everybody generally likes to say. I wish I was more in shape. Uh, you know that kind of a, a level of, of strengthening is is really the ideal. Um, the other thing to plan for is just sort of how much your life is going to end up disrupted for a while, and everyone else is around you. There's a lot of uh, a lot of the the first, depending on the surgery, six weeks to even six months, where pretty much everything all day long is about your recovery, whether it's uh, how you position the bed, where is your bed, you know, if it's upstairs and you're not prepared to go upstairs after a surgery, uh, it's about do you have a whole bunch of trip hazards all over your house if you're if you have a surgery that requires a walker? Um, and then it's also making sure that that if you have somebody with you, uh, another person in the house or multiple people in the house, how much you're really going to depend on them. And if you do live alone, then how much you really need to have some some group of people or potentially individual you can call upon to assist you. Um, whether it be you stay with them for a while or they come to stay with you or there's a, you know, sort of the open door policy of they're coming in and out all the time. There's a lot of things that, that it's, it's pretty remarkable how much your life changes, but it's not something that really enters the head of anyone who's getting ready for surgery from what I've understood from most people that I've worked with post, post-surgically. Um, the other, the other big element I think that is important is to make sure that I guess for it, it's it's sort of a weird a weird way to put it. I guess your mental health is is okay. I 
I don't know how to really put that, but really what I'm trying to get to the point of saying is going into surgery is going to be difficult and challenging and draining and grueling. So if you're already starting off in a bad place, um, it, it's just going to make that even worse. So it's one of those that whatever it might mean from, from a mental health standpoint, if you're super stressed for something at work, working on stress management, um, if you're dealing with a bad depression, uh, it, whatever it might be, those things just really tend to to hamper the rehab process because of how much uh, that toll is taken on you before you even go th- go under the knife. Um, what kind of provider should you look for? That is a really really hard question. Um, I and this isn't even about surgery. I've had many former patients come to me and go, "Hey, I felt like I had good success with you. Um, how do I fund somebody like you?" And my answer is, frankly, I have no idea. Um, I didn't see patients who had good providers because they they had their good provider and they never came to me. Um, I saw a lot of patients who had bad providers. And that's not to say that there's mostly bad providers. It's just a self-selected sample size of people who came into the office. They wouldn't have been there if they had success with another provider. Um, So... There's a lot of homework, I think, that needs to be done to the best of your ability. It, it's it's sad to say, but like Googling is about all you've got. Um, but what I would do is I would look at whatever, I guess, start with what clinics take your insurance. Within those clinics, start reading some bios. Um, a bio is usually not going to give you a ton of information, but it can at least give you a little insight. Um, <clears throat> if it's if the bio is short and sloppily written, it doesn't mean that there is sloppy PT, but you can't get anything out of it. There, there's nothing there's nothing there for you. <clears throat> if it's well thought out and it's clearly written from a place of passion, um, what is that passion about? You know, what is what is it that excites them? And most of the time, they're going to be talking about their their PT, and there's usually the blurbs about what they do in their free time. Um, the free time, I think, is more uh, the, us providers trying to be personable with people. Um, but I wouldn't actually just blow off the personal side of things um, f- for no other reason that that one of the most important elements of having success in in the rehab process is being able to connect with your provider on a human level. You don't have to be best friends. That's that is under no circumstance what I'm saying. Um, but if you don't like them as an individual, then you're not going to get better. The data is really clear about that. So what do they do in their free time? Is that something you can talk about? You know, it's if 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 you're having surgery, there's a fair chance you're going to be seeing this person multiple times a week for months, and you know, getting to know that the person uh, is important. So when you're reading the bio. Their, their their personal interests are great, but then their writing style, does that sound like somebody that, that you could connect with? Um, and again, you're trying to pull impossible information out of a paragraph or two, but it, it's it's at least a strategy that you can use. And then when it comes to the writing, when I, when I go back to them being passionate, if it's a bio that's written that you can tell it's just because they had to, I, I don't know that that's a good or a bad provider, but I'm less inclined to want to see them uh, as my first stop because what if that's just them? 
What if they're just not into it? Uh, you know, it, it, when there's when the writing is like how excited they are about the stuff that they that they get to do, that passion generally translates pretty well into uh, a good good experience, good outcomes for you. Again, not always. Just because they're passionate doesn't mean they're good. But it's it's sort of this that that element of like personality and profiling that you're trying to pick up from a bio. Uh, the other thing that that I recommend is go to people you know. Uh, ask if they've had surgery and if they had a good experience. Um, you know, there's there's very it's very clear that that marketing is not exactly how you you generate patients when it comes to physical therapy and even a lot of medicine. Um, it's word of mouth. Uh, that's really where where it comes from. So talking to people who have gone through something similar is a, a good way to find a good provider. They're not guaranteed to be good, but again. It's still more information in your pocket. Um, I know a lot of people like to go with years of experience. Um, that's a mixed bag. You know, the more years of experience, the greater chance of burnout. Uh, the more years of experience, the more likely they are fixed and set in their ways. The more years of experience, the more likely they're really fucking good at their job. You know, it, it, it's a it's a blend with new students or excuse me, new graduates, they have the most up-to-date research in their pocket. No, they don't have experience, but when it comes to surgery, uh, most surgical cases are not uh, crazy complicated that requires that level of deep experience. They actually really need what is the most up-to-date technique for how to address this surgery because the surgery has a protocol that has to be followed and the surgeon said it. So it, it's about the fact that they might be cutting their teeth on you as as a new provider is really not a big deal because their knowledge base is, is incredible. Um, so years of experience is not something I particularly find that important. And then the other thing that, that, that I've told a lot of people is that it, when you go into PT, not for surgery, when you go into PT, it's, it's, it's not a lot different than trying to find a mental health counselor you pretty much just have to try them out, see how, they, how it goes. Oh, that one's not working for me. Find another one. That one's working for me. The, that's kind of one of the more important things that that I could say, but that's also not really achievable unless you want to pay out of pocket. Like if you don't have an injury, you can't see a PT without having to spend cash. Um, and if you're spending cash to do a preventative surface, then it's usually expensive. Um, so, you know, that's that seems like a lot of money to drop on just checking somebody out. But, you know, think, think about it. Like if, if you, you know, using the ACL reconstruction as a, as an example that you gave, well, what if your maybe your elbow hurts? Not that bad, but it affects you. That's enough to get you in to do an initial evaluation. And if it's not that bad and the examination is clean, they might go, well, I don't recommend physical therapy, but it gave you an opportunity to see what this person is like. Uh, how they work. Uh, don't fake an injury. That's really easy to see from a mile away. And yeah, you might get an initial evaluation out of it, but then you've probably irritated that provider whose schedule is already full with people who need to be seen. So, you know, it, it, it does depend upon you having an additional injury. There is the concept of prehab, uh, P-R-E-hab, and that would be like you have rehab before surgery. Um, there's not a lot of insurances that cover that. But 
check into it. If they do, you have that opportunity to go see whatever PTs that you want prior to surgery. Um, how do you know it's going well or not? Um, for surgery, again, because it's protocol-driven, this is something that you can actually look up on Google with some kind of success. And I've said it before, Dr. Google is the worst doctor on the planet, but there's a lot of data out there about surgeries because there's so many that happen and there are, are protocols around them and there are fixed timelines in terms of what should be happening. There's ranges, but if there's no health conditions, like, you know, if, if you're anemic or if you have a bleeding disorder, like that complicates things. And so that can throw off the statistics of, of your surgery versus somebody else's. But without any significant, uh, significant medical complications, there's, it's, it's a pretty static amount of time it takes for tissues to heal, uh, for strength to gain, for bone to stitch back together. You know, those kind of things are, are fairly consistent. And so what I would recommend, if you really want to get down and dirty with it, get on to like PubMed and look up actual research articles on what outcomes should look like for a given surgery. Now you have to carve through a whole bunch of medical jargon and research jargon but pretty typically, if you go straight to the conclusion, uh, maybe the results, the results can some, sometimes be a little bit uh, mathy, but the conclusion and or the results will often give you a summary of what the findings were that is usually a little bit more towards human language as opposed to scientist language. Um, but then the other side of it is, you know, you can get on Google, Google try to find reputable si sites or sources that are not necessarily research articles to just look at what does timeline look like? What, what is a general trend? And know that you can't go down to exact date, exact time. At exactly six weeks, I should be doing this. Not necessarily. It could be three to nine weeks. Six weeks just tends to be the average. So understand that if you're out of the average, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It doesn't necessarily mean you're exceptional. It could be that in phase one, you speed through it at lightning fast speed, faster than anybody ever has. And then in phase two, you're the slowest recoverer that anybody's ever had. That Those are the kind of things that are that can happen. Like There's a lot of variety, but for the most part, you're looking around like it's a probability curve. At any point in time post-surgical, I should be able to do X, Y, Z activities. That's That could be found uh, on Google. Um, I think the other just sort of step back third party view of yourself later in the rehab process, um, most surgeries you're looking at about, and I'm very much generalizing, but most surgeries you're looking at about eight to 12 months to get back to normal life. Um, but I mean, normal, basic life, normal daily living. If you want to get back to higher level activities like sports, it's generally going to be a year and a half to maybe two years after surgery before you're back to that, that peak performance again, unless you're a freak mutant athlete like my former professional athletes were. But, you know, if you're, if you're eight months in and you're still struggling with stairs, that's, that's a problem, right? Like that's something that, that should not be occurring. And that is information you can find on Google, but that's way beyond the outer bound of when you should be able to accomplish stairs. Uh, of course, for somebody listening, that also does 
predicate that you've been doing your homework. If you're not participating, then struggling with stairs eight months after an ACL surgery is expected. But I'm just going to assume that anybody listening to this and curious about these questions are, are, are actively participating in their home program, as Margot, you had said. Uh, what should you do if it's not going well? Um, I mean, the first first source is to, to go back to the surgeon. Um, and the surgeon... It, this is not meant to be disparaging, but the surgeon effectively looks at it from the context of, I did my job. Now you're in rehab. Um, but if it's not going well, that's your first line of defense because they did put it back together. So they they do know your case. They may not know you well as a person. They may have forgotten some things, but they can look at their chart notes and they can look at and they know what expected is by timeline. And so if they're seeing something wrong, they can confirm it for you. What to do about it could be variable. That really depends upon the surgeon. But they could confirm, is this actually not going well? That, that's, that is an important question, right? <clears throat> then the, the other side of that is, um, to me, it, it's, it's only about confirmation. Were I to go to an orthopedic surgeon, they may have some things to recommend and they may say some good things to me, but I'm more looking at it as, after surgery is done, it is in, in the hand of the rehab professional. It, it's it's not in the surgeon's hands anymore, um, unless there's a medical complication, right? If it's not going well because there's an infection, there's you know there's those kind of things that has nothing to do with rehab. But if it has to do with your functional ability, then get a different PT. I, period. And we're right back to well, how do you find the right kind of pr- provider? Same process, but. You can make grounds if if the PT is not a very good one or they're not, not working for you. Um, if No matter the setback, you can still regain full function. The body is incredibly adaptable. It's usually when there's a medical complication that there could be long-term things, like if a bone gets infected, there could, there could be some lifelong implications for that. Um, but that's, that's not really much that you could, there's not, not much you can do about that. Uh, make sure the wound stays clean to the best of your ability, even then it's not guaranteed that you won't get an infection, but you know, it, it's the stuff that that's, that's just general do, do your best. But from the functional side of things, you can recover, you can make gains as long as something is not, uh, damaged or broken. You know, if a nerve was cut or, or something like that. Again, that's that's back in that medical territory that doesn't have anything to do with, with you doing homework. Get a different PT. Find a new one. Um, it's it, I, I will flat out own it. Post-surgical was not my strong suit, particularly in the early phases. Um, I, I, it's just, I, it's not my strong suit. In the, in the middle phases, when it's a lot about regaining range of motion, there's a lot of PTs out there who are incredible with manual techniques about how to really get the most out of uh, getting range of motion work done, uh, that that wasn't my strong suit. I my strong suit kicked in when you're when you're on your feet and you're back to daily life again. When you're eight nine months out, that's when I when I would excel, because generally I'm going to see somebody if their function's not where it should be and we want to get to peak performance. That was me. So it may even be that you had a phenom- that you could have a phenomenal PT for the first six months. But then after six months, they're not very good anymore. And that's fine. That's not a problem. That just means get a new one. Um, I, I think those are the biggest pieces of recommendation I can make if we're, if we're talking surgical. 
Um, this is an entirely different conversation. If we're talking about a non-surgical thing, like say, for example, non-specific low back pain, that's a whole different can of worms, uh, that makes each and every question that I just answered here today, not the answer. It's they're, they're entirely separate. And, uh, if somebody were to ask that question, I would do a whole lot of like, well, I don't know. Depends. Uh, it, it, that's a really tough subject to, to speak about generally. Surgically, I can answer this question. I feel pretty comfortable about it. But all in all, I hope that that covers covers your curiosities. Listeners, if you're a healthcare provider of any kind and you're willing to be interviewed, or if any of you have a question you would like to ask, you can reach me at nerdhealth at gmail.com or on Twitter at nerd4health. That is nerd, the number four, health. Until next time, I ask all of you to join me in taking a little time each day to try and learn something new or grow as a person in some small way. Signing off for today.